Check, check. Okay, here we go. <laughs> That's right. Ch check, credit card. Dan will take anything in his barber shop. Tokens. Tokens. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we've been traveling through this book at a rather slow pace, uh, and we're going to look at one verse again this morning, one verse again next week, and then we're going to pick up the pace from there. There's a lot to say, especially about uh, uh, next week's uh, text, and look forward to it. Hope you're here for next week, um, something that I've been looking at, praying about, thinking about, studying for many years. And um, so we'll, we'll look at uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 8 next week, and then again we'll pick it up as the, Lord, as the Lord would have us. But today we're in Mark chapter 1, 7, and these are words from a changed heart. It's, it's something to think about when we talk about how, how a Christian speaks, how they talk. When somebody becomes a Christian, they begin to talk differently. The things that they say, they come out differently. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything in their past vocabulary changes. And I'm not even specifically talking about just that they stop cursing or something like that. But it's how they speak about Christ. It's how they speak about themselves. All of a sudden, there is, uh, there's a change. And it is possible for someone to speak right words and still not have a changed heart. In fact, there are many who are eloquent in the way that they would talk about the Bible and perhaps have text memorized and understand things in the Scriptures and yet still do not know Christ. But make no mistake that when a person genuinely meets Christ, they get a big picture of who he is. All of a sudden they understand he really is who he says he is. And there's a change. And there's a change in the way that a person begins to talk. You can be talking to someone before they knew Christ and they were talking, they might even be good at talking religious or speaking religious lingo. But all of a sudden, you then speak to somebody who knows Christ, and everything has changed. The way that they speak, the way that they talk, it comes out differently. And if there's anything that we understand from this text and can get from this text, John the Baptist is a man who got it. He's a man that saw Christ for who he really is. He was under no misconceptions. He saw Christ in his glory and in reality. And he also saw himself for who he was. And that came out in the way that he spoke. The way that he talked about Christ. Let me just stop here for just a second. Do you love talking about Jesus? I mean, has, has he changed you in such a way 
that he has stripped away just all the religious lingo. And when you talk about him, you talk about him like you know him because you do know him. Does, does speaking about him come easy to you? Or do you get a little awkward and uncomfortable when, when people begin to actually talk about Jesus? Maybe you're okay with talking about church and you're okay talking about some things that you learned in Sunday school or something like that. But if someone were to talk to you, would it come out in the way that you speak in your conversation that someone could say to you, this person, by the way that they speak, they have a spiritual accent. That is, there's something that has changed on the inside to where that they, 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 they talk differently. I knew this person six months ago, and they talked a certain way, but now when they talk about Christ, they talk about him from a warm heart, from a heart that really knows him. And I would submit to you this morning, if you get very uncomfortable talking about Christ, if um, you, you, you feel uneasy talking about Jesus, you just don't really like it, you'd rather get on to a different subject, you'd rather move on to something else, if you find yourself at home going, you know what, I'd rather not go to church, it makes me feel uncomfortable there, if the message of the gospel makes you feel uncomfortable, and if you feel more comfortable at home, not around Christians, but you say things like, I find that non-Christians are just so much better and easier to hang around, and being around Christians, they make me feel convicted and blah, 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 then it's very possible that you need to be checking your heart to really see if you know Christ. There are many, listen, there are many, many people who know how to talk all sorts of stuff, spiritual talk. But on the inside, they're not changed. And so a Christian sees Christ properly, and they also see themselves properly. They see Christ properly. They see him for who he really is. There are many people that understand Christ lived, that he existed on this earth, he walked this earth. They understand all that. But they still don't really see him for who he really is. In 1992, the greatest basketball team of all time was assembled. It was known as the Dream Team. And it was a time when NBA players were actually allowed now to enter the Olympics. And if you can remember back 22 years ago, it was an exciting time as we said, hey, man, we're not just sending our college players anymore, but we're going to go over there uh, to Barcelona, Spain, and we're going to obliterate the competition. And we had players on the team like Carl Malone and Charles Barkley. And we even had Larry Bird on the team and Magic Johnson. We also had the greatest player of all time on that team. Michael Jordan was playing on that team. 
And it was a, an amazing thing to watch this team as they went over to Spain and they would, they would walk the streets. And you're talking Michael Jordan, a guy six feet, six inches tall, stood head and shoulders above everybody. Everybody wanted his autograph as the bus would pull in. The, the crowds would surround the bus and beat on the bus and couldn't wait till they got off. And they would follow the guys through the streets. You know, this was the dream team. And that's exactly what they did. They, they went in and they smashed the competition. I mean, one game after another, they just obliterated every team through that whole series and eventually won the gold medal. But there was a, there was a man on that team. His name was uh, John Stockton. And John Stockton uh, was one of the greatest point guards of all time. But he was an average-looking guy, and he's not much over six feet tall. And it was interesting, they would follow his journey, and as he would walk through the streets of Barcelona, no one recognized him. In fact, as he would walk through the, the, the streets and talk to the people, he would actually even talk to them and say, hey, are you, are you a big fan of the Dream Team? I said, oh yeah, we're so glad they're here. The dream team is here. We're excited about it. And he'd say, well, can you name some players on the dream team? They said, oh yeah, we know players on the dream team. We know guys like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. We know these guys. He says, do you know anybody else? No, I don't think so. Finally, after much talking, pointing to a t-shirt, all of a sudden the person looked at him. You're the guy in the t-shirt, aren't you? You're part of the dream team. Yeah. And that's exactly what it's like with Christ. He is majestic, and he's much better than any NBA basketball player. And yet, as people walked around Jesus, and as they talked about Jesus, many did not really realize who he was. In fact, many people then, in that time, 2,000 years ago, and still to this day, talk about Jesus in ways that you would think that they're talking about their brother or sister. Yeah, Jesus, you know, you know Jesus, we all know Jesus. But there are many who John the Baptist preached to who did not recognize the glory of Christ and did not recognize that he was absolutely unique and absolutely set apart. Here was the righteous one walking in the midst of the people who did not recognize him, who did not congratulate him, and for the most part, did not worship him. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. At the end of the verse, it says, And we esteemed him not. And we esteemed him not. Many, many, many people 
are familiar with Christ, and yet they do not esteem him. That is, they talk about him in familiar tones and familiar language, but they don't really understand who he is. They don't get it. There's no change. There's no looking at him with awe and reverence. But there's simply a trivial looking at him. It's Jesus. You know, everybody knows Jesus. I mean, he's from Nazareth. I mean, it's, it's Jesus. That's it. And yet when John looked at him, when John the Baptist saw him, instead of esteeming him not, there was something in John that saw who Jesus really was. And he declared it to the masses, even though the masses for the most part, we're not willing to listen. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, have we really recognized him? Have you really recognized him? Now, there's a couple things that we could talk about when we talk about the uniqueness of Christ. And really, if we were going to summarize all of the different aspects that we'll look at this morning, we could talk about the fact that Jesus Christ, under one summary category, is holy. He's holy. When we talk about the holiness of Christ, we're talking about someone who is completely unique, totally other. I love songs like, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But we dare not miss the fact that Jesus is the Holy One of Israel. That he's the one who we don't just sing, hey, what a friend, you know, just like my cousin Barney. We just run around and we play toys and we have a good time, you know, Jesus, you know, we go to the ball game and cook out afterward and flip burgers and high five each other. Listen, I, I don't want us to miss that he's our friend Oh, what a comfort that is. We can say Jesus is our friend. But I also don't want us to miss the fact that he's holy. That he's the one that we come to to worship. We dare not miss his glory. The fact that he's unique. And John shows us in a couple of different places the uniqueness of Christ. If you'd flip with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1. Verse 29. The first thing that John points out here is that he's the sinless lamb. This is the same John the Baptist that we're reading about in Mark chapter 1 verse 7. In John chapter 1 verse 29 it says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. 
the Lamb of God. That is, he's the spotless one. He's the sinless one. If you remember in the Old Testament, there was this whole thing that we call Passover, where the Israelites are fleeing from Egypt, and God has sent one plague after another, and finally the last plague, he says, I'm going to take your firstborn. He says, but if you don't want your firstborn to be taken, you must find a lamb without defect, without blemish. You must slaughter that lamb, and later they would also eat it. They would eat the lamb. But they would take the blood of the lamb, and they would put it over their doorpost, the lintel of their door. And the Bible says that as the angel of death would come, anyone whose home had the blood applied to it, that the angel of death would pass over that home. That's where we get this term, pass over. And the Bible says that this is a picture of the fact that Jesus Christ is the sinless one. And so when he looks at Jesus, when John the Baptist looks at Jesus, one of the first things he tells us is, listen, he's holy in the, in the sense that he's sinless. This is the one who is without blemish. This is the one who is without spot, without wrinkle. This is the one who has no stain upon him. When we look at Christ fully human, yes, but also sinless, that sets him apart from us. When we look at him, we see one who never did anything wrong, who never said anything wrong, who never had a wrong attitude. Everything that he did and everything that he said was in complete alignment with his Father. He is absolutely and was absolutely perfect. He's the sinless lamb. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1, verse 19, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says this, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Think about that for a second. What sets him apart? What is it that John saw that we too must recognize if we're going to see the glory of Christ? It's the fact that he is sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, if you just go back, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but notice the next phrase, yet without sin, yet without sin. Revelation chapter 5, if you go over to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 
6, Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. There it is again, a lamb. This is the, this is the picture of Christ. He's the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world as though it had been slain there, it says. Who is this Christ? What is it that John saw? Well, he saw that he was the sinless lamb, the one who would be offered up as one without blemish, but he's merciful. Because if you go back to John 1, look at what it says there in verse 29, John chapter 1, he doesn't just say, there is a lamb. But he says in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, There is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he's merciful. Now when we think about this for just a second, we need to understand here that Christ is the only one who can take away our sins. The greatest problem that we have in this world is that we are born in sin and commit sins all the time. And as a result of our sins, we are headed for judgment. And so when John looks at Jesus, he says, not only is he the sinless one, but this is the only one. He's the merciful one. This is the, way who can, this is the one who can take away our sins. This is the only hope. What we need to understand this morning is that, listen, without Christ, we have absolutely no hope. There's no hope without Christ. It's not like, well, if you, if you decide to pick Christ, good for you, you know, way to go, you need some stability in your life, you need a moral standard or something. Listen, every person without Christ, regardless of religion, regardless of if they're a non-believer, regardless of what it is in their life, Every person, the Bible says that without Christ, we are without hope and we are without God. And there needs, to, there needs to be in our spirits an understanding of that. That Christ is the sinless one. And that Christ is the merciful one. That he's the only one who can take away our sins. He's the only one. And he can do this because he's unique in who he is. Look at what John says in John 1, verse 34. This is, of course, John the Apostle writing about John the Baptist. But in John chapter 1, verse 34, he tells us that he is the one who testifies that he is the Son of God. What is he saying there? He's saying that this person isn't only a man, but also that he is God, he is the very Son of God. He's recognizing here, John the Baptist is saying, I testify that this person is deity. That he actually came before me, John the Baptist speaking, because he's eternal. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What is he saying? He's saying that Jesus is unique in relationship from the Father, and yet he's identical in his essence. He's the same. This is the God of all of the universe who stepped out of heaven. And in John 1.14, it says that he put on flesh, he became a man. 
This is God of everything. This is God we're talking about. This isn't, just a, this isn't just a nice guy. We're talking about the God, listen, who made you. Who made you. And if that bores you, if you've never really thought about that, if you've never, if you've never really worshipped at the feet of Christ, recognizing that he really is God, who brought everything into being through his word. The eternal God. And John recognizes this. He says, that's the one who's sinless, who's merciful, who's God himself. In our text, he tells us one other thing that's very applicable to us. If you go to Mark 1, verse 7, which is our text, Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And he preached, saying, John's preaching, he's out there declaring the gospel, declaring the message of Christ. Here it is, here he recognizes who he is. He says, saying, after me, that is, in order of ministry, after me comes he who is mightier than I. Now, we need to get this. He's testifying that he's God. He's testifying that he's sinless. He's testifying that he's merciful. But in our text here, it says he is mighty. I want you to think about this for a second. What has John the Baptist been doing? He's been dunking people in the water. People come up. You confessed your sins. Yes, I've confessed my sins. Okay, let's be baptized. You know, and dunks them in water. Out they come. Okay, next. Next person, you confessed your sins. Yes, I've confessed my sins. Dunk them in water. Out they go. John the Baptist comes along and he says, anyone can do that. Anyone can dunk people in water. Easy. You know, if it, in fact, um, any one of us in this room could... Immerse someone in water, that's easy. Get them wet, send them out, give them a towel, dry off, dunk the next person. John is saying, listen, I've been baptizing you in water, but there's one who comes who's mightier than me. What's he saying? He's saying there's one who's going to come and do something I can't do. I can, I can, I can dunk you in water. But I can't change your heart. And he's saying that this one is so mighty. Because the crowds are looking at Jesus and they're going, Jesus, yes, we see he's here. But John is saying, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. There are, listen, there are many people who say, not just, yes, I realize Jesus is a good teacher. Yes, I realize he's a good guy, all that stuff. Listen, there's lots of people who say that. But there's even people who go beyond that. Listen very carefully. There are people who say, yes, I recognize Jesus as the Son of God. I mean, it's what the Bible says. I mean, he's, you know, we read that in our, our Bible stories. That's what we've been taught. We know he's God. But they're unaffected. 
And that's why James says, don't you know that even the demons believe? And John was saying, listen, it, it's not just good enough. We've heard so many sermons about people, yes, I believe he's a teacher. There's people who go beyond that. They say, we have our doctrine down. We know he's the son of God. That's what the text says. We'll go with it. Why not? We'll go, he died on a cross. Sure, he died on a cross. Yeah, we'll, we'll believe that. And listen, John the Baptist, his heart is grieving. This is, he's all about the glory of Christ. He's not about himself. He's about Christ. And he says, listen, you, you, you guys are enamored. You know, you come out and you hear this preaching out in the wilderness and you say, wow, charismatic guy. Look, look at this. He's running around with the lizards. You know, he's eating honey and crickets, locusts and all this stuff. Dresses in camel's hair, leather belt, looks like Elijah. Crowds are like, have you heard this guy? You got to hear this guy. All the crowds are going out there enamored with him. We got to go hear John the Baptist. Got to hear him preach. Man, he really knows how, to, he knows how to give a message. He really knows how to give a word. John the Baptist is preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. And he knows there are many people there that are totally unmoved. And he can testify, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And people say, oh, yes, there goes the Lamb of God. Yes, we understand that in the Old Testament there was the Passover Lamb and he's the fulfillment of that, blah, blah, blah. Unmoved. You, listen, you are not a Christian until you are moved with the glory of Christ. You're not doesn't matter what you've been taught you can say I believe Jesus is the Son of God if you are not moved in your spirit if you have not been brought to a place of worship where you recognize in your soul who he is you can have it all down in fact it's the people who have it all down that are the most uncomfortable Because they've mastered a way of talking, but they know deep within there's something different here, and I don't like it. And so John is coming along, and he's saying, listen, not only is he merciful, not only is he the Lamb, not only is he the Son of God, but he's mightier. How is he mightier? He's the one that can actually, he's so strong, that's what this word means, he's so powerful that he has the ability to get inside someone and actually change them from the inside. So it's not just, yes, it's Jesus, the Son of God. All of a sudden, someone's eyes are open. It's not just John Stockton. It's Jesus, who we worship. Jesus, who we adore. Jesus, who we lay our lives down for. Why? Because we've just made a religious commitment? No, because our hearts have been so gripped and so changed because he's the mighty one who can actually change us from the inside. And I believe there are people in this church and thousands of other churches who have not been changed from the inside and who have thought, well, all you do is you believe he's the Son of God, right? And you've prayed a prayer. 
There are many, 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 many people don't know Christ. And you look around and they go, why? why are these, these people actually worship Jesus. Yeah. They actually love him. They actually like talk to him. You mean not just in church? Yeah, because, because he is the mighty one. And John was recognizing here that his, his ministry was like here, dunking in water, and the ministry of Christ was like infinitely here. Because you can tell people things, you can, you can give good doctrine, you can say the right stuff, but it's only Jesus who is mighty enough only Jesus who is mighty enough to actually change someone and make them new. So what did John recognize? He recognized that Jesus is the mighty one. This is how a Christian talks. He's the mighty one. But he also saw himself, and I want you to notice this, and we're going we're gonna to stop with this. Notice our text. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I. Oh, I love that. He's mightier than I. Now he gets to himself. Sees Jesus properly. Now he's going to begin to talk about himself. Notice what he says. He says, The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John, don't say that about yourself. That's demeaning. I mean, we, what we need is messages like, you are something. You know, we need messages about self-esteem and making sure that we're propped up and that we know who we are and that we can hold our heads high. And yet, here comes John the Baptist. It's not a self-esteem message. It's a self-de-esteem message. You can't get low enough. Slaves in that culture, slaves wouldn't even take the shoes or the sandals in that culture off the feet. I mean, someone could, someone could untie their own shoes. Sure, they might wash their feet, but to actually, I mean, anyone can untie their own sandal. And John comes along and he says, this one is so much more superior than me. It's like, you can tell, you don't even have words to, to, to get it across infinitely, eternally different. He says, he's so infinitely greater than me. He's so much more mighty than me. And me? He says, I'm not even fit to get down on my knees and untie the strap of a sandal. This is how a Christian talks. not about us. It's about Christ. Is that how you feel? Because this isn't just a temporary position. This is the permanent place of joy. Do you know that there's no greater place of joy than at the feet of Christ? 
It's interesting, the Bible says a lot about feet, you know, Mary breaking ointment. The feet of Jesus. Jesus later on would wash their feet, the disciples. And this is John the Baptist. This isn't, this isn't just someone who just, you know, comes along and no big deal, you know. This is, well, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Go over with me to Matthew 11, please. Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 11, truly I say to you, Jesus is talking, among those born of woman, women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said he's the greatest man ever born. That's pretty high praise. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen, this is, this is the greatest man. And yet what, what does John the Baptist say about himself? The view he has of himself is one that is very low. And if we're ever going to really receive the forgiveness of Christ, we have to admit to ourselves, we need forgiveness. If we're ever going to be saved, we've got to admit we're sinners. If we're ever going to be brought high, we first must get real low. Listen, listen carefully. The only kind of people that Jesus saves are broken people. Well, what I got to do is I got to clean myself up. I got to get my ready, myself ready for God, and then hopefully he'll like me. I don't want to go in that church. Lightning will strike it. If only they knew what I've done in my life. Listen, Jesus, the Bible says, did not come for the righteous, but those who are sick. And the only way to get to God is to recognize who Jesus is and to recognize who you are. And all pride must be repented of. So a person doesn't just come, well, I'm going to clean myself up, I get myself perfumed up, spiritually ready for Jesus, and now I'm in. Jesus says, that stinks, there's a stench there. It's the person who says, Lord, I'm not even worthy to loosen the strap of your sandal. And it's in that moment when a person actually sees Jesus for who he is and sees himself for who he is, that the peace of God floods into someone's soul. And we become slaves of Christ. Slaves of joy. Slaves of peace. Slaves at rest. Everyone in this room has a master. And there's no better master than Jesus.
Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. Notice what it says here. And having been set free from sin, we have become what? Slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your member as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification. Look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. John saw God. John saw himself. His eyes were opened. Last verse, and then we're going to pray. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, verse 5. Job chapter 42, verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. I see you, Lord. I see myself. Let me close by asking you this. Have you seen Christ? Has he been so mighty in your life that you've actually changed from the inside? And now you see the fact that it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus. And you've seen yourself for who you are. Broken. Needy. And this is our permanent state as a Christian. And we keep coming back to this. Lord, you're great. I'm not. Thank you. Thank you that you're merciful. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Thank you that you've opened my eyes. I've, I've, I've heard about you and I've seen you. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer?
Someone wouldn't mind getting crystal too, please. Okay, thank you very much. Father, we thank you. God, we, we, we want to be amazed at who you are. I mean, we really want to see you. We, we, we want to know you like John knew you. We, we don't want to just hear about you and remain unaffected. But God, we want our hearts to be changed. The mighty one of Israel to change us. That's what we want. Lord, we want to be at your feet learning from you. We want to know you. Father, I thank you for your might. That you're powerful enough to reach into the darkest places, the darkest recesses of our heart. Change us and enable us to stand in awe and wonder at who Christ is. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Crystal.